I'm still convinced that I was in like the early stages of hypothermia. I woke up just colder than I've ever been in my like my insides were cold and I was like shaking. I couldn't think straight and like Aaron, my buddy's sleeping just soundly next to me and I'm like clattering the you know, dishes, trying to heat up water and like finally like get my body temperature back up or whatever. And then the next morning we woke up and he was like, Do you think it got a little chilly last night? <laughs> oh my God. I was I was half dead. Yeah, I think it was yeah. a little cold. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 240. No part of the country of New Zealand is more than 79 miles from the sea. Let's go to the beach. Although I've stayed in $3 a night hostels in Thailand, I have never quite slummed it like today's guest, Tom. And he's going to tell you some incredible stories of extreme budget traveling. But whether I'm staying in $3 a night hostels in Thailand, whether I'm staying in $1,000 a night hotels in Paris, which we did, of course, we used points, so it was free, but over $1,000 a night to stay at the Park Hyatt Vendome, the luggage that I always bring with me is my Tortuga backpack, and that's what I love about it. It looks good enough that you can bring it into a $1,000 a night hotel, or of course, you throw it on your back, you can go around, you can be backpacking around the world. It doesn't matter if you're looking for the perfect travel backpack head on over to tortugabackpacks.com check that out and don't forget to use the promo code epop that's e-p-o-p all capital letters that will get you 10 percent off your entire order Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is a man who has worked on a sled dog team in Alaska, a luxury yacht in the Mediterranean, and who is used to traveling the world on an incredibly small, some may say minuscule, maybe even non-existent uh, budget. Tom Edwards, author of Two Bucks to Timbuktu. Tom, thanks for joining me today, and welcome. hey I should and, note that those two jobs are friends I have had have done that, but I, I talk about how to do them in the new book. But. There you go. And if, if friends do it, that's close enough, right? Yeah, I would like to take. I would like to say that I've done that. that yeah, cool. we'll set that as we'll <laughs> set that as a as a goal then, right? I might, um, I might tell girls at the bar that or something. You know? <laughs> and Tom, I, I hope you're ready, Dave, because we got a lot to cover. Um, we're going to be talking some of the best budget and ultra budget tips, and we haven't had anyone on the show yet really where we've talked like super ultra budget tips. I'm really excited to get into some of that, Um, like basically traveling for free. We're going to talk about some of the best ways to make money while traveling. Uh, We're even going to talk about uh, traveling as a musician because, again, you'll be kind of the first person to come on and talk about traveling as a musician. There's been other people who are musicians before, but give some really cool um, advice on how to be able to get gigs, what's it like to street perform, You know how to bring instruments with you, all that kind of stuff. But first... We got to find out where you are. What current adventure are you on right now? Where are you? I just have gotten back from a couple of adventures. Uh, I'm back home in Ohio right now. I just got back from uh, California, and before that, I was in Spain. The exotic land of Ohio. 
yes. Awesome. Well, what I want to do to start it off is, is I want to take us way back before kind of all the craziness of, of your travel lifestyle and you document that in your books and everything like that. But talk about how it started because that always fascinates me. It's like, where did the love of travel come from? Was it something you were always kind of ingrained with? Did you do it much as a child? Or is there like a few moments you can point to where you're like, all right, this is going to take over my life. Like, this is it. I'm a traveler now. I've had like, I know a lot of people have like that one moment where they had that epiphany or whatever. And I've, I've had like several of those that have brought me to like what I would consider different tiers of like, like the first time, I mean, I've always been new that I was like uh, different in terms of like, I didn't really want to have like a, a normal life of like nine to five and all that stuff. But I think it wasn't realistic for me not to have that in my head. And the, the first time that, though that I can remember like wanting to see more was uh, my parents took me out west on a trip. I think the furthest west we went was uh, Wyoming to Yellowstone. But I remember uh, on that trip really wanting to go see more at that point. I'm like, holy crap, you know, I've just gone to like Myrtle Beach or whatever. Like, this is actually different. You know, normally when I leave the state, it all looks the same. Right. And then... Uh, and and how old were you then? Was that as a child or was that kind of teens or what? I was 13 or 14. Okay. Right around there. Very impressionable young lad at 13 Very or 14. Very impressionable, yeah. And that was like the, the adventure of a lifetime for me back then. I mean, I, we just had a blast uh, in an RV going around and seeing all the stuff. It was just amazing. And then uh, when I was 21 was the first time I had went on like a, a big trip with, uh, you know, without my parents or whatever. It was with a girl that I actually ended up dating on the trip. But uh well, I just left a job and was like, screw it. I sold my car and we took her car and went out west again because I had always wanted to go back. And that was whenever that was the next big epiphany of, wow, this stuff is so much different out west compared to Ohio. Just think how different it is on the other side of the world. And so then that got the wheels turning of like, man, I want to go see everywhere. And then, uh, yeah, went back and got a a real job for three or three or so years. And then, uh, when that fell through big epiphany, number three was, what am I doing? I can actually go do this stuff. Like there's nothing holding me back. I'm a free person. I can go see the world. So, and, and how did that then play out? I mean, you had the epiphany cause I think terribly. Yeah. Well, I, cause here's what's funny. You know, I think a lot of people, especially yeah. listening to this will say, yeah, I've been there. Like I've had that Maybe not those exact same things, but but this idea of like, okay, this is different from my hometown. All right, now I've done a a trip on my own, and that's eye-opening because now I'm not with my family. It's like uh, either solo or with a group. And then it's like, whoa, I I didn't have to go somewhere exotic. I just had to go out west. But what about all these crazy places? And I think that happens to a lot of people where then they are free – for you know, for whatever reason, job things like that, but they don't actually then take that step. What what did that look like for you? Saying, "All right, I'm done the job," but then you actually went and did it, and and then you could talk about why it was terrible as well. Well, for me, um, it was actually I wish that I could say that I like grew the balls and like uh, decided to say screw the job, but I had actually like a couple weeks before uh, was like, ah, eh, you know what, like. I'm getting older. I need to stick with this job or I could look back and, and be like, damn it. When I'm working in a gas station, when I'm 40, be like, what the hell? Cause at that time I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship. I mean, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know anything about like this huge internet entrepreneur movement that was happening. Um, 
And uh, so I just went into work one day and I uh, found out that our whole branch had gotten shut down and just called my buddy that I had been talking about it on and off with and was like, pack your bags, dude, we're going to Thailand or somewhere. And uh, then about four months later, we left. And I had at that point had a decision of get another job or I had played music in the bars around here for years. So I just kind of got this idea, well, I bet I could play enough shows to, to make enough money. So that's what I started doing, which was kind of hard at first. But I was able to get a pretty good schedule going after a while and then ended up doing that for three years, playing music full time before uh, entrepreneurial stuff took off. Awesome. And, and so that first trip that you took then, you, you played some music after the regular job, then you went on the trip and then you came back. And what was that like coming back? Like when you came back, was it, all right, I know I'm going to end up living a lifestyle where I get to do that more, like go to Thailand or, or live in Thailand or even just travel more. Or when you came back, was it, did you feel, all right, this might be like, that was a cool one-off, but I don't think there's going to be a way that I can make that work for me in the long run. It was, it was kind of a weird uh, moment in my life when I got back from that first big trip. Cause I was, I got really depressed and like, uh, I felt like, uh, there weren't a lot of people that I could relate to. Even other travelers, because I would tell people some of the stuff that we had done. I'm like, yeah, it was really hard in some places. And like, oh yeah, it was really, I had to stay in hostels most of my trip. It was pretty rough. And I'm like, dude, that was like, that was like five star hotel to us. And like, uh, I had on the trip thought, you know, I don't think that long term travel might not be for me because I just really started missing the comforts of home and my family and and everything. And I just kind of went back and forth because I knew I still wanted to see all these amazing places. And like, I, and I, I've probably made it sound like I had a terrible time so far, but I really didn't. I had the time of my life. I mean, it was like the best experience of my life, but, uh, there were just some aspects I wasn't sure if I wanted to live full time. So it was really weird trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then I kind of, I didn't go anywhere for a year. I just did like, you know, maybe little road trips or something. But then I was just got that same, you know, the feeling where your feet just start itching. And I was like, I got to go somewhere. And then I went to South America for a few months. And, and after that, I've kind of figured out my sweet spot, I think, is like a month. And like at the end of a month, I'm, I'm kind of starting to get ready to come home. I've had fun. But I'm, I'm ready to come back home to my bed and my refrigerator and, and everything, you know. So I think if I was like in a relationship with somebody and I was traveling with like uh with someone, um, a girlfriend or a wife or whatever, I think it would be different because what I start really missing is like, uh, my family and stuff like that. You know, those close connections and everything You make a lot of friends, but you don't get that really deep connection. I think that's really important point that, that you brought up that gets glossed over a lot. And, and we try on this podcast as much as we can to be very open, honest, real with like the emotions and it's not all roses. And yeah, you know, overall, yeah, traveling is amazing. That's why we all continue to do it and we love it. But you miss out on those parts, you know, or like I said, it gets glossed over by a lot of people of like, yeah, what happens when you go away and then you are homesick, you are missing these creature comforts that you want. And um, I think that is a really important point that you made that, that your travel style can only be defined by 
by you and and you don't even know what it is until like you keep doing it and it gets refined but i i felt that when i've been weighing like well i to be a real backpacker i have to go away for like seven months and i have to spend less than five dollars a day and you're, you're putting like all these uh i am extrinsic like pressures on me that no one else says i have to be that way it's like it's it's because that's my ideal or what i think it is and then i'm like but then I realized that's not how I am. Maybe I have to spend more money or maybe I have to go away less time or maybe, you know, whatever it is. So I think that's really important if, if anyone's listening and they felt like you or felt like I, that they don't feel like it's wrong or that they're doing it wrong because that's that's normal and everyone's going to go through it. That's kind of, and I was t- talking to someone about this the other day. It kind of varies person to person. And like, to me, like you said, like, oh, to be a backpacker, you have to do this or do that or whatever. And my thought on the matter is once you've put in your time, if you start making a bunch of money or you start, you know, whatever, go ahead and do it because like I think you can still at least say that you're you're a backpacker. If you've done it, then you are. Now, if you have from the very get-go had mom and dad's money and went and stayed in hotels and you've never stayed in a hostel, whatever, then you can't say you're a backpacker. But if you hitchhiked around for six months or even two months, or whatever, and lived, you know, the adventurous life, whatever. And then you hit the lottery a few months later and started traveling like a king, all the more power to you. Right. You're going to have a blast either way, probably. Right. And and if you're someone who's like, I would never, ever hitchhike because that's not me. Well, that's fine, yeah, too. That's cool like, too. Like yeah, exactly. no one, I think yeah. you're judged less by the people who are out there doing it than, than you are to yourself, I think, sometimes. Yeah, and I think I especially think right. with social media and with blogs and stuff where you're reading these stories, and you're like, oh, everyone's just always having these crazy adventures. Well... Yeah, they're telling you about their crazy bitch because they're not going to tell you about the boring parts of it. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like, what what fun is that? And I think uh, that one of the things and one of the standards that I, I've, I've never really fully hit, I guess, and I could never say that I was an ultra-budget traveler, at least to the point that you are and that some of the people I know are who are doing stuff either for free or on really, really, really small budget. So I was definitely a backpacker. We stayed in, you know, a $3 hostel in, in Thailand on our first trip and we bumped around, but I've never been totally ultra budget. So I want you to give us kind of an idea of some of the craziest ultra budget things you've done. Cause you said like your first trip, Oh, people were talking about staying in a, in a hostel. And to you, that was like the best night of three weeks. Right. So give us an example of some ultra budget stuff that, that you've done or that you've done with other people and seen people mm-hmm. do. Um, and I will say that there's, I, I know of one other, uh, traveler or blogger, I should say, that, that has done what I, I've called it extreme budget travel, which you can call it whatever you want. Uh, Leaf of uh, the Runaway Guide, is he's kind of the one that got me started too. I read his blog and he has a lot of tips on like uh, border hopping and all this crazy stuff like that. And that was when I was like, man, maybe I don't have to be rich to do this. And uh, some of the craziest things I've done, and I'll, I'll mention the first book because that is the the story of this trip back in 2013 with a couple friends. And, um, that's called planes, trains and broken strings. And that one's on Amazon. Um, and that one we hitchhiked the very first time that we hitchhiked ended up being with this drug dealer in Switzerland. And it turned into this whole crazy thing. We ended up staying at his like drug house while he went somewhere else. And we didn't even realize what it was. So the next morning we woke up and we were like, wait a minute. And then he like came and picked us up again and took us on all these runs and stuff before he dropped us off turned out to be just the nicest guy on the planet. Uh, but it was very harrowing for me. And one of my friends, my other friend is like one of those dudes is just 
chill as a cucumber no matter what. You know, he's a cool guy, man. No worries. And right. he was right. He was right, but we yeah. Were meanwhile, you're like, really. he can be as cool as he wants <laughs> if he gets picked up and we're in the car. Yeah, it's going to be hard to explain this away, right? Yeah, exactly. He seemed like a real straight shooter. <laughs> uh, and um, we ended up. Uh, we slept with homeless people in a lot of places, especially Italy and bus stations, stuff like that. Um, we ended up living under a bridge for a week or so in Italy after we were uh, train hopping and just got off there. And we had our, our method was we would get on Google Maps and like look for wooded areas that we could kind of make a little camp in or something. And uh, this one looked like trees from Google Maps. When we got off the train, it was like all bushes. <laughs> so we just found this bridge and got under it. And it turned out there was an emu that was living under the bridge. And it was like on one side of the bridge and we were on the other. And uh, we still, this was, again, this was in Italy, so we still have no idea why an emu was there. And um, I was with Nick on a Life Athletics podcast a while back. And uh, we're trying to find, if anyone has the answers out there to why there is an emu in Dieva Marina, Italy, please contact us in some way. And please let us know. This <laughs> remains a mystery to this uh, day. A mystery to this day. So what, uh, when you were doing all this, like this super, I mean, basically for free, traveling as much as you can for free, train hopping, you know, uh, staying or accommodations, quote on air quotes for free. Was that, was it more for the adventure of it? Was it more because you really had no money or was it kind of half and half? It was, I would be lying if I didn't say that it was absolute necessity. Yeah. We, we just didn't have the money and, uh, and that was the only way that we found out if, if me and Corey, my friend that he played hand drums and I played guitar and sing, if we would play music, Aaron, our other friend, would watch our, our bags and stuff while we would go out. And we would make enough money to get uh, food for all three of us for the day and uh, cigarettes because we just couldn't give up that vice at that time. Um, but it did not support enough for uh, accommodation as well. So that was the magic formula of us playing music and and doing that. And how long was that trip total? Like, how long were you guys out there, kind of traveling in that way? That one was uh, six months. Okay, so six and, and months. And it did, and it was kind of a kind of a roller coaster because we in Europe it was really hard with 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 that stuff because of how expensive it is there. But on the other hand, it, you make a lot more money uh, busking. Like it's not even worth street performing in Thailand because you know they don't have the money to spare to to give you. Um, but you go to Thailand and your dollar goes a lot further. So I was able to do uh, some freelance graphic design work and stuff there, um, which I'm not very good, but um, was enough to you know pay some bills and live like kings, as we put it, be able to afford to go up, get food at restaurants and have a roof over our heads every night. And then we went to Australia, and New Zealand, where it was like. Back to the homeless life. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because there, especially, uh, like you said, same oh as in gosh. Europe, it's expensive. You, you make more, but your mm -hmm. purchasing power is super, super low. But the problem there is we didn't have anywhere to busk. Why? And why is that? They just wouldn't we, let you. Well, we were in Perth. We could have busked there, but where we were staying was like in the suburbs. So we would have had to pay for a bus to go in to the city. Whereas in Italy and most of Europe, we would just like, train hop or bus hop because they didn't really check tickets in most places, but they were really stringent in Australia. Um, and then we ended up going on a road trip with these, we stayed, we had a, a couch surfer in Australia. Thank God that, that took us in for the first uh, week that we were there. The first few days we were there and we met this British couple there that had bought 
a Jeep and was going on a road trip and asked us if we wanted to go. So, you know, obviously, why not? Hell right, yeah. Right, of course. So we went with them, and that was all through, like, the outback along the coast. So there wasn't anywhere there unless the kangaroos had pocket change they could have given to us. <laughs> Were there any times during that trip, and, and I know we could get more, in, or people can get more in depth with it when they, when they grab the book and all, um, but was there any times during that trip that you ran into like major issues by doing this, but like got in trouble for train hopping, got in trouble for either busking or sleeping outside, or or was it kind of like no one bothered you? Like there had to be some time, right, where you were now. This like this, that depended like heavily on where we were. Italians don't care about anything. Like if the cops yelled at us, they would just you know be like, "Whatever you're doing, it's forbidden. Don't do it." Okay. Um, the, the biggest blow I can think of in those terms came in Italy though, but cause we, we were train hopping, uh, but we would always do the government run lines. And then our last one was from Rome to the airport in Rome. And for some reason we didn't pay attention and we got on like a privately owned train and they asked us for tickets, which we didn't have. And we did, we played stupid, which I'll get to that in a second. Cause that's like one of my number one rules. All right. Um, and uh, we got fined like $300 for it, which is a huge, huge hit. But still, um, I try to be an optimist about that kind of stuff. And if you think about it in the long run, we still came out ahead with all the trains and buses we hopped. I mean, like that, you know, as well for the three of us, my God, we saved thousands probably or at least a thousand. How did you, with that fine then, with the $300 fine, how did you pay it right then? Or did you have to pay it later? Or did you guys not pay it? We had a little bit of money, but it was just a matter of we knew we had so much longer to go, so we couldn't spend it. And we knew that Thailand, we weren't going to be able to sleep anywhere, like in the, you know, go off and sleep on the street or uh, play money, play music for money on the street. So that was kind so, of the, the nest egg for when you got to Thailand. right. And it was not much of a nest egg, <laughs> right? Right. So it was it was a big hit, but uh, but again, you know, we came out ahead, and man, the experiences just from hitchhiking, train hopping, are just. I wouldn't trade them for anything. Yeah, and you talk about let, let's before we move out of the budget or ultra budget or, or extreme budget um, arena. You talk about some of the rules. Like, so if someone out there, and this is something I haven't done, and and is fascinating. And at this point, kind of don't know if I ever will do in my life. Like, want to, <laughs> but I'm also yeah. like, well. I don't know, like maybe it wouldn't be as cool when you're 33 and have some money to do it as if it was necessity, but maybe I'll find my, my way to train hopping a little bit or hitchhiking. But if someone is going to do this or if someone's like, all right, I, you know, I, I want to experience that as well. I don't have a lot of money. Um, what are, you said one of your number one rules, play dumb. What are some of the things that you would suggest someone does if they're doing this to be safe somewhat and to, you know, to make sure you're doing it in a way that, that kind of works? Now, yeah, the, my number one rule for all of this kind of the extreme budget travel is uh it's better to ask forgiveness than permission always like uh if there was something we knew we weren't supposed to do we just did it anyway and anytime we got caught we would just play the dumb tourist card and be like oh we didn't know you know i'm so sorry and we never once had other than the train thing never once had a problem doing that because like when you're moving around you're not going to see the same cops you know and uh like you were asking, you know, uh, where we'd get in trouble or whatever, it did, did depend heavily. Like I said, uh, Italy generally, other than that one thing, they would be cool. Germany, we had a tough time a lot of times if the cops were really strict. And then New Zealand, 
it was like the coolest cops on the planet. Like they would catch us sleeping somewhere illegally and be like, oh, you guys have to leave. You can't sleep here because I caught you. But if you go up to this park here and go in these bushes, like they won't be able to see you up there. And I'm like, really, dude? Thanks. <laughs> so but, it's, uh, it's typically in line with the stereotypes of the personalities of people in that country. Italians going to be laid back. Absolutely. Germans pretty strict um, by the book. New Zealanders, <laughs> Kiwis. stereotypes are true. Yeah, yeah right, right. I do have uh, I have like a little list I put at the end of of this new book two bucks to ten bucks two that's like my number one rules for extreme bad it's really for all traveling but especially important for extreme budget uh, first one is my number one absolute most important one think outside the box always always think outside the box and that's how like you'll come up with uh, like Leaf like I was talking about the runaway guide had uh, this brilliant little scheme where he was in um, Ethiopia and he was buying sugarcane raw and then like cutting it down to like its edible form and moving to like the next town over and selling it to the tourists and stuff it's just, like stuff like that that's like uh just brilliant yeah and, like, and it's like survival kind of like but you have to think of yeah. it you know he, he was doing it he came up with a little plan and implemented it yeah uh next one is uh, big cities are no friend to the impoverished vagabond um in my experience it's a lot harder in huge cities like los angeles or yeah, even Rome, whatever, you have to go outside to the outskirts or to smaller towns where you can find places to sleep, most importantly, and then uh, take a public transit in to play music during the day or whatever, or go see the sites that you want to see. But it is a lot harder. I mean, I've slept in parking garages and stuff like that, and it's no picnic. On pee and beer bottles and whatever, you know, just nastiness. Uh, when in doubt, ask a local. That one's for any kind of traveling. That's a, a big one, I think. You see so many people that just like wandering around afraid and like it takes two seconds to ask them, hey man, where's the best place around here to, you know, to do this or that? Or where's the train station at? Um, and it's just so much easier. And on that note, uh, positive influencers, as I call them, people who are positive uh, uh, influencers on your travel experience are more valuable than money itself. In other words, someone who's willing to go the extra mile and, and help you out and give you food or clothes or a ride or whatever is going to have more impact than uh, a little bit of extra money that you might get. And as we said, bend the rules if, necess- if necessity requires it. And if so, bend them often. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. like that. And yeah, the other two are kind of on that. It's always better to ask for forgiveness rather than permission. And when all else fails, just wing it. That's my motto. Yeah. And I think, I think too, like you said, whether it's extreme budget travel, whether it's budget travel, whether it's travel, you know, and, and for everyone, those that like we talk about the pricing's going to be different for some people, a $30 a night place is extreme budget. And, you know, and so, and so there's no real guidelines we can put on it, but I think that again, your travel style changes and, uh, and those are good rules to, to implement no matter what, uh, no and matter th- how you're traveling. I think that's important that you bring that up too, because, uh, I talked about this uh, the other day. Um, somebody asked me uh, what adventure means to me or whatever. And uh, it's kind of the first time I really thought about that. And what I came up with in my head anyway, in my opinion, is I think it's anything that, that pushes your own comfort zone. You know, if you are doing something that's out of your comfort zone, that's an adventure. And that might be something totally different than me. So like someone that listens to like I'll, I'll see a lot of these travel bloggers that are doing crazy stuff that like, like climbing mountains and everything. I'm like, dude, that is like 
insane, man. I can't believe they do that stuff like that. It's just, I wish I could do something like that. And at the same time, somebody might look at me and think something like that. And then somebody might look at even somebody who gets to go on vacation for a couple weeks and go out west, you know. And like, uh, I think it's important to not make anyone who's who's really trying and going out and doing stuff make them feel bad like they're any less. Because if you're if you're pushing your own comfort zone and you're getting out of the house and you're going and doing that stuff, then bravo, man! You're doing a lot more than a lot of people do. So. Yep. And we've always said that we say, you know, it, it doesn't mean you have to emulate the craziest person that you know. It means if, if for you you haven't traveled at all, because people come and say to me a lot, Trav, you must hate cruises. Then, like, that's not authentic travel. And I'm like, listen, I've actually never been on a cruise. If if someone has never left their house or never left the country, and they say, I'm going to take a cruise on the Mediterranean, and that's what gets them out to see that part of the world. Awesome. And then maybe they dip their toe and they're like, well, that was cool, but I like to spend more time at this port city, but we didn't get to. So then they travel back there on their own or with a group tour and then they go on their own and then they're, you know, and by the end of a year, they're hopping trains. Who knows? Right. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a little by little. And I, and I think you that's just important hook to get sunk in. Yeah. Just, just get that right. Like sink that hook in and, and then you're good to go. For you personally, after, after that extreme budget travel, has your, has your kind of travel philosophy, or not not philosophy, I guess, because you kind of went over that, but your travel style, has it changed? Are you still extreme budget traveling, or are you taking it more budget level, or what are you doing up now? I, I even said in, in that first book that, like, I don't ever want to do this again. It was, like, a lot of fun, but uh, it's just, I don't think it's for me. I like a lot of aspects of it. I loved hitchhiking. I would totally do that again. Um and couch surfing, I try to do all the time. Anyways, I love that. But like the really, uh, I guess, homelessy aspect of it, I did not like at all. I was I was miserable for a lot of that because a lot of that you're not meeting people, and that's one of my that and food are probably my two favorite things traveling. Um, so for me, like living under a bridge for a week, staring at the ground, was not my idea of a good time. Right, and, so, and yeah, it's like why am I even here then if I'm not doing the things I exactly. want to do. Yeah, it's cool that I'm abroad, but if life is yeah. awful abroad, is it any better than if you're at home, right? I have this thing. I, I talk about this, and I think in both books, uh, where I we had been – I think we were hitchhiking for a few days. It had been a couple weeks since we had a shower. We're just starving every day. And like there was one moment where we had been train hopping, and we got off in the middle of the night. It was the last train of the night, and it, we had to stop before we got to Rome because, like I said, big cities, we knew we wouldn't have anywhere to sleep. So we stopped and we thought that it looked like this developed town was going to be like a, where we could find somewhere to sleep. And man, we walked around. There's nothing. It's like one o'clock in the morning. So no more trains are coming we could hop onto. And all we could find was this cow, uh, culvert filled with garbage right next to the train tracks. And I'm laying there in my sleeping bag with nettles. There's fucking thorns around and just I'm in a puddle of kerosene and sitting there. And I had like two cigarettes left and I didn't want to smoke one because I'm going to catch on fire probably from the kerosene. And like I turned on my phone and like got Wi-Fi from a house nearby and was like on Twitter and posted something about like how miserable I was at that moment. And this chick back home from where I live was like, quit complaining. You're in Europe. And I was like, I would give the last bit of this little nasty hobo cigarette for this girl to be in this culvert right now next to me and say that. I was just, right. Oh, uh, yeah, it, it is. It, it's, <laughs> I've never been in a culvert with a hobo cigarette in kerosene, but there are times where it, it, 
yeah, it's not that you're you're ungrateful, but you're just at the point where you're saying this isn't what I want out of this experience, and it's okay to then change, like like you've done now. So one of the things that that you've done now is is travel in a, in a different way and and not in that extreme budget way, and one of that is around music. Can you talk a little bit about being a musician and traveling and being able to either score gigs or what it what it's kind of like. Because it's a totally different lifestyle than just being a traveler. Now, and two bucks to ten bucks too. Part of that is I talk about how to do this uh, extreme budget travel, and then part of it, like you said, is how you don't have to do it as extreme as I did. I think the best is a mixture of you know a little bit if you need it, but there's plenty of these other ways that I didn't know about at the time that would have helped me tremendously. And one of those with the musician thing is a concert window. It's a uh, service that you can play online shows uh, through your laptop with a webcam and a USB mic, and anybody anywhere in the world can tune in, and uh, they watch for free for a couple minutes, and then they can buy a ticket. You set the ticket price for free or a dollar, $30, whatever you want, and then people can talk to you and request songs, and they can tip you, too. So my method that I used to do when I was in South America is I would uh, find a hostel with a rooftop bar or a rooftop living area and I would set up up there so you'd see the city behind me and everything because people are just flipping through and there's everyone you know guys playing on his couch or whatever and they're like what the hell is this dude doing like oh man um, and I was able to make a little bit of money doing that I, I will say um, I never was able to escape the, the budget travel aspect just playing music like really my uh, what enabled me to travel Whenever I want, wherever I want, at a high level of comfort was e-commerce and uh, online entrepreneurship and stuff. But I was able to to get by with music. And uh, between playing online shows and I would do a lot of times make deals with these hostels that had bars and I'd play a show there and they'd give me four nights for free or five nights for free and stuff like that. I mean, and that's cake. Play a couple hours and you have a great time. There's a lot of cool people. Uh, and usually, like with that bar, it's all the people that are staying in the hostel. So you're already friends with all of them. Right. You're already playing music up there all the time anyway. Right, you know, right. and jamming around, drinking beers, whatever. So it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah that that concert window is a really interesting idea, and not one I've ever heard of. And it's cool because, like a lot you said, people haven't. Yeah, you can do it anywhere, and you don't even have to be. And, and you supplement that with doing stuff live and and on the road and at the hostels, and that's kind of that's kind of cool. Um, what are some of the other jobs? that either you've had or that other people have had while traveling that you know have helped them sustain their travel? I mean, because I, I have never been... Well, I shouldn't say that. I guess if I thought outside the box, it would work. But I've never actually been someone who traveled and then got jobs as I was traveling, you know, to kind of sustain this open-ended trip. It's always been either traveling for travel's sake and or, as you mentioned, being location-independent, having doing stuff already online, traveling because I can travel whenever I want, when I want. But if someone's not to that level yet, we're not we dig in a lot on that on other podcasts of all the e commerce and like how to build it up as a lifestyle. But if someone's just like, I want to travel and I want to make some money as I'm traveling, what are some ways that they can do it that you've heard of or you've seen that work successfully other than music? Now yeah, and I'm the same way as you, but I have a lot of friends who do it the other way. And that's what I have a whole section in the book about this too. Um and a lot of them you know, people talk about woofing, uh, where you can work on organic farms around the world, but you don't get paid for woofing. I mean, you get free room and board, but if you go to, have you heard of Workaway yep. before? 
there's a lot of uh, those same farming types of farming jobs in there that you actually get paid for. And I, I have uh, some friends, the same friends that um, we took the road trip in Australia with, what they were doing there was they had gotten a job on Workaway on this farm and he was helping with the farming and she was helping with the housework and stuff. And they were getting paid and free room and board, had their own, you know, uh, either guest house or guest room there. And they've actually worked on and off there. They just got permanent citizenship there, I think. But uh, I know people who have worked on, uh, I met a chick in Peru who was leaving there to go work on, like you mentioned at the beginning, a sled dog team in Alaska. Um, I know people who have worked on yachts, uh, coffee plantations, uh, tour guides, scuba diving instructors, bartenders is another good one. Further on the, uh, on the mention of, like I play music in hostels, you can get a lot. Of, I know a lot of people that get jobs in hostels and get to stay there for free. Um, in fact, that hostel in uh, Peru, I stayed there for like three weeks and played a couple shows, and uh, that's where I started my econ business. But one of my friends there got a job as the bartender at the rooftop host, uh, rooftop bar at the hostel, and it was like the cakest job that I've ever seen in my life. The dude only had to work like three or four nights a week. He got to stay there for free. And he got like a discount on food and beer. And there's only the people in the hostel at the bar. Nobody from outside of the hostel goes to the bar. So there's like maybe 10 of us at the most. And he's sitting on the, you know, there's couches and stuff. He's sitting on the couches drinking with us. And someone would be like, hey, Fede, go make me a drink. Yeah. All right. What do you want? Go up and get it. Or I need a beer. Grab it out of the fridge. Leave the money on the bar. You know, it's like he didn't do anything at all, really. Right. And got to stay there for free. So there's all kinds of stuff out there like that. Yeah, and I and think that I think that's a good point. Is one of the easiest ways that I've seen work is people just working at the hostels, whether it be in uh, exchange for accommodation or accommodation and getting paid. You know, there's all type. They always need people to work at different hostels, and it's pretty cool because if you want to dig into a place and stay there for a while, anyway. Well, yeah, do it for three weeks, four weeks. It's not like you have to be trained to be a bartender. You're not ma- you're not like a mixologist for the most part. You're like dumping some mixer in with some water. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's no big deal. Google it if you don't know how right. to make it. Right. But yeah, um, and I, I guess I should uh, mention because the, the way you worded that at the beginning, you can, you know, go to places like Australia or New Zealand where they have a really high minimum wage and make a ton of money. Like... Uh, I know Johnny Blair, um, oh, he has a don'tstopliving.net. Um, he funded a trip to Australia or to Antarctica for working on a beet farm, I think it was, or it might have been broccoli. It was a broccoli farm. And he ended up making like $10,000 there in like a month or two. Which yeah, is just I, I know it's insane. You take advantage of I, it, it's the same way we talked about traveling to cheaper countries if you want to budget travel better. If you want to make money to sock away, go to countries where they'll pay you more. And, yeah, um, go there for a month, work, and then you can live in Thailand for a year comfortably. Right, right. And plenty of people do it. So there's tons of ways to do it. And um, just like I've never ultra-budget traveled, I've never done that where I have, oh, I'm just going to go and work at this hostel. So now I'm at the point where I'm like, man, maybe I have to just go and do these experiences just to be able to say I've done them and and to give some advice. But we both of us know plenty of people have made it work and, and it's a, a kind of a cool way to do it too. Um, if you do love traveling and to meet other people is to work as you go at hostels or, or any of these ways we mentioned. Question for you, as someone who was an ultra budget traveler now is maybe a budget slash 
I don't know what we want to say, medium range traveler. What is one of your biggest travel splurges? Like, has there been a time where you've made a huge splurge purchase where you're like, I don't care, I'm getting this? Or is there like a recurring thing that you're like, whenever I travel, I'll spend more money on this versus, you know, like maybe I'll skimp here, but I'm always getting the best of this? Um, yeah, definitely. Once I, my econ business took off and I really started actually like making really good money for the first time in my life, I went to like a, uh, a business workshop in Montreal in Canada. And that was the first time that I had ever traveled and could actually like buy like souvenirs or whatever I wanted. And the funny thing was that it didn't hit me until like partway through the trip up there. Cause I like, I went a little early I knew I was going to be staying in this hotel where the business workshop was at, whatever. But I wanted to meet some locals and stuff, so I booked a hostel before that. So I would go stay in the hostel and hang out. And so it's funny that, yeah, I'm still, you know, kind of doing the budget travel. But as I'm staying in the hostel, I was, like, walking around one night. I was like, man, I can kind of go, like, I could go to eat, like, at a nice restaurant if I wanted to. And then I was just like, dude, I could, like, go shopping if I wanted to. This is the first time that I've ever been able to do something like that. And I did. I went down and I bought like really expensive, some clothes and all. Let me just blew a bunch of money and then went to this restaurant, got like a hundred dollar steak and everything. But the funny thing was, like a couple days later, it's it's like that was when I first started really making all that money, or whatever. And it, I'm not gonna lie, dude, it totally went to my head, man. I like kind of became a douchebag for a minute. <laughs> and like, uh, but there's this moment where I'm going down for like we had everyone had a dinner after the workshop where all the people that were there, you know all met up and socialized and like I was wearing like a you know a blazer and like some really nice expensive shoes and everything and I'm walking down there and I like stand in front of the elevator and like see my reflection in the elevator and I felt like a kid dressed playing dress up you know what I mean like right, I felt like, it like a still kid wasn't you wearing like grown up clothes yeah, or something right. yeah? and it was like after that I was like that's not me at all man like I, I don't care whatever I'm going back to a t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> it, it is funny. I mean, yeah, for you had to get that out of you, right? To yeah, like kind exactly. of realize that, hey, that's not me. And I love the point that you were still staying in hostels. And, and same with Heather and I, you know, could we spend more when we travel? Yeah, but... A, I, I'd rather not because I'd rather have mo- that money to continue to travel or do other things with. And B, it... it it's kind of the way I want to travel. Not always. Like there will be times where we might stay in a, in a in a nicer hotel, but it's it's usually bracketed around like local guest houses, Airbnbs, good value places. All right, we need like a night to like decompress and just lay around at this really nice hotel's pool, yeah. something you, like that. You just described my. That's my ideal travel these days, man. I like. I'll stay. Do I've done Airbnb a lot lately, so I like having an apartment and everything. But then. A part of the time I'm either staying with locals or I have friends there where I'm hanging out with them all the time and then uh, going out when I can and, and seeing some stuff but I'm not super touristy and I'm sure I mean as you know whenever you're working while you're doing it it's kind of people expect that you're out there doing crazy I'm like dude I'm not gonna lie like a lot of the time I'm sitting in the house on the computer <laughs> right right I mean it's cool to be able to sit in the house uh, on the computer in an area that when you do go out it's not your hometown but it's not it's not all the time because and we could do a whole nother podcast and maybe we will maybe we'll be going to <laughs> yeah. a whole nother one about you know we talk about the location independent lifestyle and 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 all that and the balance and things but um 
yeah, it, it's it's not always as glamorous as it seems when you see like one Facebook picture a day or every two days. It's like here I am on a motorbike, right? And for eighteen hours I was sitting typing away. So uh, <laughs> yeah, not always as glamorous. Um, speaking of travel, last question that I, that I want to ask you about, and one that I love asking um, everyone, especially people who have traveled in the way that you have and as extensively as you had. What is your biggest travel mishap? Something that's happened to you, whether it was your fault or kind of out of your control, where it might have been funny, might not have been funny at the time, but maybe it's funny looking back. Do you have something, one or two things that stick out in your head? My my number one, I have one that sticks out worse than anything that's like uh, that's happened. It was like something that caused a chain of unfortunate events, but although it was a mishap, like uh, it still also is like some of the best, uh, for some reason, as bad as it was, like some of the most cherished memories of, of that big trip um, was we flew from Australia to uh, Auckland, New Zealand, and we had a two-week layover in New Zealand. And the plan was we had booked a flight from Auckland's airport down to Christchurch uh, because we had heard the Southern Island was the place to be. Uh, and what happened was, first of all, on our last night in Australia, um, we had couldn't find a couch surfing host. We had came from the outback and basically got dropped off in Perth and had our flight the next day. And we ended up having to sleep outside of the train station in this little like uh, kind of a dip in the wall or whatever. And it sucked. We got like two hours of sleep or something. Then had this really long flight from there to New Zealand. We get there and it was one of those, you know, when you're traveling east, it's the worst time change. And we crossed the international dateline at some point, or so I thought. I can't remember how I got this all mixed up. But what happened was I thought that our next flight to the Southern Island was the next day. And it turns out it was that same day because of the date change. And it was already like super lack of sleep because I knew I had to stay up. That's my like way to beat jet lag. I just power through it, stay up the whole, at least to like eight or nine at night the next night. And it was at like sometime in the afternoon that I'm like looked at saw the date on my phone and was like and freaking out we're trying to get to the airport we call the airport or call the airline and they told them what happened and they said uh, well that's that's fine we can put you on standby just go to the airport and, and talk to our attendant there and they'll put you on standby so we pay for this stupid shuttle bus from the hostel that we had had go all the way to the airport get down there go to the counter and the woman is like we don't do standby I was like, what are you talking about? Your person on the phone told us, well, they they're gave you incorrect information. We can't do standby. You'd have to buy a whole other ticket, which at that point, that was the end of the trip. We did not have, even if we had wanted to blow the extra money, we didn't have it at all. And uh, got into it with them, obviously, until I was blue in the face. They wouldn't do anything. So there we are, sitting in the airport, nowhere to go, whatever. So call the shuttle. They come pick us, take us back to the hostel. And we're like, okay, so now we're going to have to try to hitchhike to the Southern Island or something. And we did the math. We found this. Somebody told us about the service called Naked Bus. And we got a bus for like 15 or $20 down to like uh, Picton, which is like where you would catch the ferry to the South Island and everything. But because of the lack of money, that was like the whole time we were there, we were sleeping in uh, some of the craziest places of the whole trip, like in like parks in the middle of cities and, and like a parking garage, like I mentioned earlier and just the sides of buildings downtown. And we got kicked out of every single place, but the cops were so cool. 
and like the Kiwis are super laid back and, and chilled out. And so, I mean, they would like, there was one guy that stopped and was like playing my guitar and we were jamming out and stuff. And like, it was cool. But then, <laughs> then we got to Christchurch and luckily I had, uh, one of my graphic design clients that I had uh, been doing some work for happened to live in Christchurch and saw me post on Facebook, like, well, day six or whatever of sleeping on the damn street, you know, here we are in Christchurch about to go to this park and hopefully we won't get kicked out. And she was like, dude, I live in Christchurch. Like, hit me up. I'll, I'll put you up. No way. So we ended up, it was crazy. Like one minute we were getting ready to sleep in the park and then like a half hour later, they're doing our laundry, cooking up steaks and shrimp and chicken and all this stuff. We're drinking beers. And, like, they really helped us out. And then uh, we're going to Tekapo, which is, like, a big island – or not island, a big uh, lake and mountains uh, after that. And we told the guy that we were going to stay there for a week and a half because it's just – we knew we could camp there. He's like, what the hell are you going to do in, in Tekapo for a week, mate? I'm like, oh, just camping out. He's like, oh, you're going to be bored off your arse. I'm like, all right. And uh, – we get out there and that was, that was intense, man. It was like two weeks of just no human contact at all. And there was one night where I like set up my hammock on the mountainside and, uh, I'm still convinced that I was in like the early stages of hypothermia. I woke up just colder than I've ever been. i like, my insides were cold and I was like shaking. I couldn't think straight and like had to try to like heat up water on the stove and like Aaron, my buddy's asleep and just soundly next to me. And I'm like clattering the, you know, dishes, trying to heat up water and like finally like get my body temperature back up or whatever. And then the next morning we woke up and he was like, do you think it got a little chilly last night? (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was half dead. Yeah. I think it was a little cold. And then that all ended with, that was the last part of the trip. And like, uh, we got to the airport. We did, we still had our flight back to Auckland, you know, just because we missed the first one. We still had the second one. And uh, our friends in Christchurch dropped us off the airport, and we got there, and some error had happened, and we didn't have any checked luggage. So we're, we had, I think it was like 20, it was like 18 or $20 left total, completely. And we're like, we can't check anything. Like, what are we going to do? You know, there's nothing we can do. Flight leaves in like a half an hour. And like, so we're throwing everything out of our bags, just throwing it away. The rest of the food that we had, just like, throwing it in the trash and like they were like it's i don't know if it's going to be big enough for carry on if you can fit it in the thing and i'm freaking stomping on it into the thing and I like i get it down in there i'm like there it is she's like you're good like the chick was being super helpful the steer or the the girl checking us in and then my guitar i'm like well what about the guitar and she was like i can give you my airline discount and i'll buy a seat for your guitar um and it'll cost 15 dollars. so i was like that works so we got like three or five bucks left and like we got on and made it up and we ended up sleeping outside of this uh apartment complex that night and like spending our last three dollars on uh i think it was a loaf of bread that we bought or something like that to make it through the last like 48 hours 24 hours whatever it was but yeah that was that was in my mind because it was just this whole saga this whole chain of events because of that one stupid mistake that was totally my fault the auckland airport then not your friend right no, not your dude. friend the auckland airport <laughs> what was what was funny is when that, like, whenever that happened and, like, the stewardess wouldn't do anything to help me, I'm so surprised that I didn't get, like, arrested or, like, detained <laughs> or something because I was so pissed, man. And I was, like, walking through to go to the payphone to call uh, the hostel to come pick us up. And I went over to the payphone. I had, like, a dollar coin uh, and put it in the payphone, and it ate my dollar. <laughs> and that was, like, 
the straw that broke the camel's back, that was just like the last thing. And I was just like, just cussing and like, stupid damn New Zealand airport, biggest piece of on the planet, flipping out, screaming, everything, and everyone's staring at me. I just like snap, dude. I just lost all that, you know, no sleep for however long, forever, you know, just not sleeping, no food and everything. I just lost it, dude. And that and that was the end of your extreme budget travel experience. Uh, right after that, it's like I don't know if I want to be down to my last. I, I wish dollar. I could say that. Yeah, well, but no, it wasn't the end of it. I had plenty after that, but yeah, on other, other trips. That's but. crazy, Tom. So obviously, not in the pipeline for you going back to the Auckland Airport. I, I don't think, um, unless you're a masochist there. I love I love the key, I love the Kiwis <laughs> out of New Zealand, so I'll go back. With You'll money. go back, yeah, with money, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. What What is in the pipeline for you? Um, I really, I really, really want to go to Antarctica. That's like my number one right now. I really want to do that and take like a, a decent kind of adventurous cruise down there where you can do land excursions and stuff. And awesome. it's kind of ironic because I really hate the cold, but I'm fascinated with Antarctica. Yeah, you so. got you to gotta give up a little bit, right, to, to gain that. Um, well, Tom, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us today, regaling us with stories of, of this ultra-budget travel experience. So whether people decide to do it and follow your advice or they just want to hear about you doing it and then decide to spend a little more money, that's up for them to decide. Remind people one more time how they can find out more about you and about the two books that we mentioned um, throughout the podcast, how they can get them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, definitely. Um, the new one, two bucks to 10 buck two is, uh, kind of a how to on how to do the extreme budget travel as well as how to make money while you're traveling. So you don't have to do that stuff. So I described kind of a, a, a comfortable budget travel experience where you're still having fun and getting to go do excursions and go out and have dinner some nights and, and have a good time. Cause a lot of people, you know, the extreme budget travel is not for most people. I don't think. And then the first book, uh, Planes, Trains, and Broken Strings, is the, the journey of me and, and my two friends going around the world and, and getting into all those crazy misadventures and stuff. And that one is, I describe it kind of as a comedy adventure narrative because it's, uh, it's, it'll make you laugh. I can't guarantee you'll like it, but I can guarantee you'll laugh. <laughs> awesome. And, and those both, the best way for people to find them is to go to Amazon and, and get them yes, over there. Yes, yep. Just look them up on Amazon. Awesome. Two bucks to Timbuktu and planes, trains, and broken strings. You guys can check that out. Um, you can look up Tom, Tom Edwards on, uh, on Amazon. And uh, don't forget, everyone, if you are listening to this, uh, we have everything linked up in the show notes, including those two books. So if you're listening, and you're like, all right, I'm on my phone. I can't remember that, this or that. Um, you can go to extrapackpeanuts.com slash 240240 for the episode number. We'll have everything linked up there that we talked about in this episode. You can also go to extrapackpeanuts.com slash pods, P-O-D-S, to get all the episodes, all 239 other episodes, plus the show notes, everything lives on there. Don't forget as well, if you are looking for a travel backpack that 100% does fit in the carry-on thing, and you won't have to be jumping on it like Tom, <laughs> and you want to use the one that, that I use and have taken all around the world, head on over to tortugabackpacks.com. Use a promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That gets 10% off that. Tom, thanks again uh, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me, man. I've had a blast. Awesome. Thank you. And everyone who's tuned in, thank you so much for the continued support for making us the number one travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travel. I'll show you-